A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Don Colosi, Chief Marketing Officer at Focus Vision. Dawn's a relatively newly minted CMO, just probably about 100 days before recording this episode. But she's been a marketer for a number of years in the technology and B2B spaces. She's been in PR before that and even in publishing early in her career, both in modern day publishing for popular press as well as the tech space. She's got a unique perspective that I hope to share today, but what really caught my attention was her LinkedIn article called My First 90 Days as CMO. I just read it and realized it was such an authentic story that needed to be retold. And I wanted to share it with you guys. Her genuineness and her authenticity just come out in spades. And if you're ever wondering what it's like to be a newly minted CMO, you're about to find out. I hope you enjoy this show with Dawn. Well, Dawn, welcome to the show. Thank you. Very excited to be here. Well, we've got a lot to talk about. I thought we could start with your background, you know, where you started your career and what was the path to become CMO at Focus Vision? Sure. I have been, I started out in technology, actually. I thought starting my career that I was going to be in women's magazines. So I did my internship with Working Woman Magazine and then my first job at McCall's, which I think both are defunct now. But anyhow, I quickly became very restless and bored at McCall's. I was charged with reading unsolicited manuscripts. And a colleague of mine had gone out for an interview with Zip Davis, who was the biggest technology publisher at the time, and uh, came back and said, yeah, I'm not interested. It's about computers and it's a startup magazine. (laughs) So I thought, startup magazine, computers, I'm in. (laughs) And not because I was interested in technology, but it just sounded like I would be able to do something rather than read unsolicited manuscripts. (laughs) manuscripts. <laughs> so she called the editor-in-chief to let him know that she, you know, she wasn't interested in the um, position, but she had a colleague that would be. And I went for an interview the next day and got the job on the same day. So I've been in technology ever since. I started again on the editorial side. I spent 16 years doing PR, really specializing in product reviews when that was very, very important to companies. 
and then made the switch over to marketing, mainly because the people that I was working with all were let go. And the CEO came to me and said, you're in charge. And I said, in charge of what? <laughs> he said, marketing. I said, but I do PR. Uh, he's like, yeah, you can do it. And I've been doing it ever since. And it's so topical for me because I have, you know, young adults as children who are, are starting to think about what they're going to be doing. And, and they think they're supposed to have a plan. And what I keep telling them is, you know, sometimes there's a plan you're not aware of. You have to listen. And as long as you're really interested in learning things, you're going to find what makes you excited every day. That's great. That's great. And so when did you become CMO at Focus Vision? I started with Focus Vision about three months ago at the beginning of May. Okay. So I think I'm past my 100-day mark. I know I did a lot of reflection and writing around my 90-day mark. So I know I'm definitely past the 100-day mark. <laughs> and it's been a really interesting and exciting few months. Yeah. It's one of those cases. I, and I think in a perfect career, you keep finding things that make you excited about getting up every day and going to work. And I'm at the height of it right now. Well, for listeners that aren't aware of what Focus Vision does, do you mind giving us just a little blurb of what they are and you know what they provide? Sure. Focus Vision is a company that started with focus groups, you know, the hardware within focus group rooms and has evolved over the last five years through acquisitions of being a full service research provider. Mm. So anything from very advanced surveys, not the free type, but the type that have really um, advanced and sophisticated questions where you can get really deep insights into your audience and what you're asking, plus video questions, which most platforms don't have. So that's really a key differentiator. The fact that you can ask a video question, get a video back and be able to use that data in other places. Uh, online focus groups and video interviewing. We have a product for social listening and online communities and a platform called Video Insights, which actually allows you to store all of that data into one place and helps on the GDPR compliance side where you know you can control where that data is living and then the blurring that's required in the EU because of the GDPR regulations. Right. So it's really not many companies. There are, we really don't have, we have a lot of competitors in the point that in all of our products, but really no competitor in the um, full end-to-end research solutions area. Cool. Well, what caught my attention was actually your recent, you talked about your writing of the first 90 days was your LinkedIn post about your first 90 days as CMO. And I have to say, I talked to many, many, many CMOs and I thought it was the most refreshing and vulnerable read I've had in a while. And I wanted to have you on to talk about it and share what you've experienced over your first 90 days. So what, I guess, first of all, what motivated you to, to share? I've done a lot of, so about four years ago, five years ago, I was working at a um, company and I was running corporate marketing and the world was changing. The marketing world was changing, you know, digital marketing and content marketing and all of the marketing technologies that were starting to come to market was really revolutionizing the way marketers were working. And it really, I got very caught up in it because it all made sense to me. I knew I was living my life in a digital way. As a working mother, I rely very heavily on you know Amazon and food deliveries and ordering my groceries online. So I knew the impact that technology was having on, on my life. And I thought, well, why aren't I talking to my customers in this way? Because just because we're crossing over from consumer life into business, we should be working with our customers and new customers to educate them and to help them. And so that content marketing piece made a whole lot of sense. So I did a lot of work 
with the team that I had in place to build a digital marketing always on machine, basically starting from the technology stack to the entire strategy. And um, as a result, ended up winning a award from Serious Decisions, which is an analyst firm for marketers and spoke on their main stage about our journey to do that. That opened up my channel to a lot of different people in the industry post that keynote. You know, I spoke to the biggest software companies in the world, Microsoft, SAP, HP, and they were all IBM and they were all in a place where they were trying to figure out how to take advantage of the vast marketing technology landscape, how you plan a content strategy for B2B. So we were all in the same place. And, and what it taught me was, you know, we're all in this together as marketers. And so when I took the step to become a CMO, and I was really very aware of what I was trying to put in place. And then, and, and, you know, coming from where a place where I built this very sophisticated and advanced methodology and engine, I came back into a business that didn't have any of it. So I knew I was going to have to build it all over again. And I knew that, you know, my marketing colleagues out there were dealing with the same things. There's really no one company that has it 100% figured out on the B2B side. Obviously, there's the, the Amazons and the Netflix and the Spotify's of the world who are absolutely have digitally transformed and are doing it the right way. And their bottom line is showing it. But on the B2B side, we're a couple of years behind. It was important to me. I felt the need to talk to those folks that are in the same situation, who are headed to the same situation and, and share that experience. Well, I appreciate it. And the tone, I can't stress enough that it was just truly authentic in the way that you wrote it. And I was refreshing, to be honest. Thank you. Anyone who knows me knows that I'm not capable of anything else. <laughs> Sometimes it's a fault, I have to admit, but I'm really not capable of, of anything but authenticity and honesty. And, and again, sometimes to a fault. Yeah. One of the things you started off was this premise of, and we've all heard it around the short tenures, right, of CMOs. You know, Spencer Stewart reports, I think the median tenure increased last year from 27 months to 31 months, but that they only tracked the top. months. I know it's not that big of an increase. <laughs> so I don't think that's very significant. No. And, and if you read a little further on what they track, they only track the top hundred advertisers. And so, and they, 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 do talk about a lot of turmoil below that level. And, you know, what do you think is it about this role that's so prone to high turnover? I think it's the lack of clarity around what the role actually is. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the reading that I've done and, and a lot of the conversations that I've had, you know, I've, I've sat in the co-pilot seat for a long time. I've, had, I've worked for many CMOs. So I've, you know, no, I've known their discussions and their struggles, and I've certainly done my fair share of, of preparing them for different board meetings. And honestly, you know, marketing is still being seen as a cost center. You know, it's a place where we spend money because we have to, and not as a business driving entity within the business. And a CMO, you know, any CMO who is smart and is reading and is, who continues to educate themselves understands the impact they can have on a business now with the big data and small data at their hands. And so most CMOs are going into a position not to create a, a great creative, you know, snarky ad campaign, but to actually affect the business. So their focus, you know, our focus tends to be on the business as a whole and the expectation, and that's kind of like boiling the ocean. So it takes time. And the expectation from, you know, the C-suite, the CEO, the CFO is why aren't we bringing in leads? Why aren't you giving us leads? Or why isn't our ad campaign in the Wall Street Journal? Or why am I not getting quoted on the cover of Time? And those type of 
really tangible pieces that eventually come out of a of a very effective marketing strategy is the expectation within the first six months and, and disillusionment sets in very quickly. And then the conversations are just really disjointed. So from my point of view, you know, coming in, when I had the first conversation with my CEO and he was talking about their lead gen programs and how they were trying to collect leads, I immediately changed that conversation in my very first interview and said, I don't actually believe in that. Mm. And he looked at me like I had 10 heads. <laughs> I'm talking to a marketing person that I'm trying to hire for leads. Obviously, I'm not going to hire this woman. Mm. And I said, let me explain why. And I said, listen, what does a lead mean to you? And he said, well, it's an, an account that you give sales to call. I said, and you want to know what sales thinks a lead is? Uh, sales thinks a lead is somebody who is ready to sign a contract. Right. And you want to know what marketing thinks a lead is? Marketing thinks a lead is somebody who filled out a form on their website or came into their trade show booth and they scanned their badge. <laughs> How are we ever going to agree on what's valuable to the business if we all have different definitions of what a lead is? That sort of made sense to him. And when I explained to him the way I had built the marketing strategy at my last company, starting with defining the buyer's journey, being able to create content, awareness stage content that really connected with the audience on their pain point, what they were trying to figure out, not pitching our product, but instead trying to you know, have a conversation around a strategy that they were trying to get to. And then how do they get to that strategy? And why is my company the right company to partner with them to help them in that strategy? Which is a whole different way of looking at B2B marketing, which has been very, very feature and product focused. And I guess that made sense to him because he called me back for a second interview and then eventually hired me. <laughs> well, congrats on uh, having that conversation, it's not, especially in an interview situation. I don't think many people would do that. So. No, and I think that's the problem. I think that's yeah. why CMOs go in and fail immediately because they're afraid to have that conversation because they're afraid they're not going to get the job. So they get the job thinking they're going to have the conversation afterwards and the expectations of what they were hired for and what they think they're going to do are completely misaligned and then there's no chance for success. I love that. So one of the things you talk about as well was, you know, how hard it is to prove out the results. Even if you, you know, you line all these things up, you've got the right systems, et cetera, in place, it's still hard. And I just wondered if you could expound on that, like tell us a little bit. It. Yeah, it's really, really, really hard. It's not impossible, but it's really hard and it takes really hard work. The problem is most marketing teams either lose patience, lose interest, or just get involved in other things that stop them from getting to the finish line. So they don't have a chance to actually prove out what they've done. You know, there's a thousand requests a day for somebody who needs t-shirts because they're going to see a client or someone who thinks we should be putting certain things on social because, you know, whatever the reason. And the teams tend to get very distracted. So what's happening on a lot of marketing teams is the they're starting to add marketing intelligence teams. And those marketing intelligence teams are really responsible for that proving out, you know, being able to build the right dashboards, bring the right data together, because there is no single vendor who does that. I mean, I know they all say they do that, but there is no single vendor who does that. I can tell you that I have met with a lot, and I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of pitches now, <laughs> but I have met with a lot of vendors and no one vendor does it. So you really need a developer on your team who's going to be able to knit all of those systems together. You need a SQL analyst on your team who's able to pull the data out of Salesforce and your marketing automation system. You need somebody who can read the data 
And then you need somebody who can build a dashboard for you so that it's understandable. And then you need to make it relatable to the business. What marketers have traditionally, and especially with this digital transformation that we're going through, have taken it, we've got more data than ever. We've been looking at things like a past boss of mine called Vanity Metrics. You know, how many people come to the website? How many people are clicking on our ads? How many people are liking our LinkedIn posts? And while all of those are indicators of interest or uh, engagement, until you bring that together, you don't understand the significance of it. You don't understand if it's one account that's Mm -hmm. showing a lot of interest across different channels, which would indicate intent. They're obviously trying to figure something out. Or if you're just spraying and praying that somebody's going to find one thing interesting and they're going to end up on your site and fill out a form, which is really a traditional way of doing it. So that hard work of bringing all those things together is worth it. But sometimes it just is so overwhelming and time-consuming that the marketing teams just don't get to it. I agree. I agree. And it's overly complex. And to your point... It is. I wish it was simpler. I wish there was a, you know, plug and play solution. But the truth is no two environments are the same. Right. You know, not everyone's using the same CRM. Not everyone's using the same web CMS. Not everybody's using the same marketing automation system. And, you know, no one has come out. No, none of the marketing clouds bring all of these things together unless you're using one product from, and even then they don't all connect, but one product from one vendor and no one's doing that. Right. Because there is no vendor that's, that's providing the utopia of marketing technology. Well, let's talk about the first 90 days. I know it's, you know, a hundred days old now. (laughs) (laughs) where, Where did you start? I started with people and I know, um, that, that sounds very cliche, but if I've learned anything in my career and as a professional, it's that the people are really the most important thing of what you do. And if you don't have good, engaged, happy people, they're not going to share your passion and you're never going to get where you're going. And I, I came into a team that was a little down. Morale was not great. There hadn't been a real marketing leader in quite some time. They, everybody was doing the a lot of work and really busy and working very hard, but wasn't, weren't seeing results. So they were a bit demoralized. You know, so I came in and, and I've done this in past jobs. This isn't the first time. I, I spent a lot of time just getting to know who was already there. And I've seen marketing leaders come into other companies that I've worked at and assuming because they, you know, come from a, a bigger brand or, or, or a bigger company that, you know, they know everything already and they're just there to teach everybody else the way to do it the right way, which is deadly. Mm. And it's not true. How could you possibly know more about a company than people who are sitting in a company? So I spent a lot of time with uh, those folks that were going to be on my team, understanding what their strengths are, where they wanted to go in their careers, what made them excited every day about work, what made them crazy every day about work. And then I worked through roles and responsibilities because another pitfall that I've always seen with leaders is that they don't spend time figuring out the roles and responsibilities on a team and it just causes chaos. You know, people stepping on each other's toes, inefficiencies, not being able to get through projects, not being aligned on strategies. So to me, I really needed to get all of those ducks in a row before I started, you know, running. So that's what I did. I I spent my first, I would say, 30 to 45 days making sure that I really got this team in very good shape. And then I hired some of in some of the gaps. And at the same time, we had a product launch that was about to happen. And I asked for, I know it was, <laughs> it was fun. I asked for a little bit more time. You know, I went into the CEO and I said, listen, 
we can go out with what what's already been developed, but I would like at least four weeks to take a look at things and see if we can and, and make this a little bit better. And he agreed, which was great. And we ended up pulling together a cross-functional team, which had never been done in the company and really working on, you know, a workflow from product from sales, from marketing, from legal, from operations to make sure that we were all very aligned. And then the experience for our end user would be positive when they decided to go ahead and try the product because trial was the call to action. And we got it off the ground. And I have to say it was, it wasn't the best, you know, it's not the way I I would do things going forward, but it was good enough. You know, Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals. You can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, I know some marketers talk about uh, crawl, walk, run. I sort of tend to have the, poly- the mindset of something is better than nothing at times. Right. And that something probably isn't the best thing you would ever do, but it's better than nothing. Because if I would have done nothing, that wouldn't have helped me. It wouldn't have helped the company. It wouldn't have helped the team. So, you know, there was a number of things we needed to learn from that. And it was important to ask for that time. That's a great example. How did you think about, you know, after you got through the people side of things and roles and responsibilities, how did you think about starting to build a system to generate results over time? You know, that you, you said this like always on system, so to speak. So I went back a couple of years to when I was first starting out doing this at my last company and knew that I couldn't do exactly the same thing. Cause again, no two companies are exactly the same, but I did think they were fundamentals, right? I needed to understand who my buyer was. What are they trying to solve for? Where are their budgets lying? What are they trying to do with the research that they're doing? I needed to know that. And then once I understood that, and that's still ongoing. I mean, you know, that's not a finite, you know, oh yeah, we built a persona and we're done, which I think is funny and probably (laughs) typical. (laughs) But, you know, understanding that and and going and looking at certain data. and, And that's really where I had my big aha moment working for Focus Vision, because when I was building this type of program for my last company, we didn't go out and ask questions and, and get in touch with our customers or, or you know run any survey to what are they dealing with and what are their pain points. And we thought we knew because of the data we saw on our website and the data coming in from our different publishing vendors. So we made assumptions on big data without actually ever looking at the small data or even considering small data which is human data, right? Asking humans and getting that back from them. And I I sort of had this aha moment. I was like, oh, why didn't I do this? Like, that's almost (laughs) embarrassing. You know, like I was feeling pretty good about myself. And then all of a sudden realized I was missing a huge chunk of, you know, that should have been so obvious to me. So with 
focus vision, obviously, um, with, because of what we do, I mean, this is what we do for our customers. So we drink our own Kool-Aid. We've started doing that type of research and asking our customers and understanding that there's been a shift from, you know, uh, big research projects happening once or twice a year to an always on research strategy because you, because of the way we live our lives and because of you know sentiment and and social and and everything that's happening one or two big studies a year on how our customers are using our products becomes outdated very quickly so there needs to be multiple touch points along the way to understand what they're thinking that those big research projects are starting to shift into the enterprise themselves, not be wholly owned by the research agencies, which they have in the past. And and more and more researchers are in demand within the corporations to not only run these type of projects, but to actually be able to analyze them and read them and make them useful to make business decisions off of. So that's the type of thing that we've been going through and our, our next stage is, okay, so how do we help our customers who are starting to go through that transformation of an always on research strategy what do they need to think about? What needs to be in place? What do they get from a video that they won't get from stats? How do we empower the marketers? And what we have found in the initial sort of research that we've done is that marketing is driving most of the research, which is not shocking, right? Because right. marketing drives how you attract customers, how you retain customers. There's absolutely research being done in product development. There's absolutely research being done in human resources. But the bulk of, of research being done by corporations is around customer experience. So that's happening. That's that's being driven from the marketing department. So how do I help my counterparts in those other businesses really start to form that strategy and being able to take advantage of the right things at the right times and be empowered to go into a boardroom with a video that shows their seat, sweet seat and their board why they're making certain decisions based on, you know, not gut anymore, but based on the customer feedback. Hmm, interesting. One of the things I, I think you highlight this, but the in the article on LinkedIn, but it, Companies like yours and specifically B2B, but the customer database is vital, but yet always neglected. (laughs) And the data is always out of date, uh, you know, some percentage of it, right? And how did you assess yours? Like, because that's a huge asset, right? Hopefully it's a huge asset. Well, it should be a huge asset. But, you know, most most CMOs are asked to, you know, send emails. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what we should do? We should send an email to our customer base and tell them. And I knew it was coming. I wasn't asked, but I knew it was coming. <laughs> and I, I needed to do a couple of things. I needed to assess my database, right? I needed to understand who was in the database, what they were interested in. Were they opening emails? Were they getting engaged? We didn't have any of that data. I needed to understand who they were. Again, since we, we've been selling for so long to research agencies, am I, do I only have research agencies in my database or do I actually have our end user customers and can I talk to them? Because if I don't have them, I've got to find them someplace else, right? So I just we devised a, a pretty extensive nurturing program. And I say that with air quotes because nurturing in true definition should be talking to somebody about something that they've already shown interest in. Mm-hmm. But instead, what we wanted to do is just start talking to our customers uh, across a range of topics across a range of products just to understand what they started responding to. So, you know, again, we were asking, so we were getting the small data, but I was looking for the big data aspect also, you know, where were their interest indicators? What type of content did they seem to be opening up on? Well, who's inactive? How much of the database is inactive? Where's the bad data? Where are we getting hard bounce backs? So in addition to just starting to engage with those in our database, I needed to understand the health of the database and what was there. And so it's given us the opportunity to clean out 
you know, the inactives and the bad data because of the data we've gotten back from the nurturing programs. It's also given me really great data to say, look, email cannot be our only channel. And, you know, if we're thinking that sending out an email to all of our customers is going to create this huge, you know, influx of revenue, we're insane. So (laughs) it's not that easy, guys. Look, you know, if I'm sending out my email and 12% is opening it, that's not really a lot of people. So we've got to talk to our customers where they are and how they want to be spoken to and when they're ready. You know, we can send as many emails when, as we want, but if they're not ready or if they're not thinking about it, or if it's not a subject that they're interested in, we're spitting in the wind. That's very true. I mean, one of the things that you highlighted as well, and I, I wonder how it worked with your nurturing program, is that you talked about trying to solve problems or provide a solution to customers, but not your product. Right? Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about that, because I love the concept. We adopted a mantra with my former team was that we wanted our content to be valuable, even if the customer never bought from us. Because when we took that, it was sort of a, you know, miracle on 34th street mentality. If we were valuable to the customer, they were going to trust us. And eventually we might have something they want to buy. It might not be in the first 90 days when we're tracking the campaign, but at some point they might say, Hey, you know what? That company really seems to know what they're talking about. And they understand me. I'm going to go find out more. And I just knew from my personal experience, when I was building the MarTech stack, there were companies who were marketing to me, obviously marketers are a hot, we own a big technology budget now. And so, you know, we're hot prospects and I was being pitched all the time. I was getting 60 to 70 pitches a day. And the ones that I ended up not only taking meetings with, but giving my biggest share of wallet to were the ones that taught me something and made me better at my job. And it wasn't because it might not be because they had the best product, but they were going to be my partner and they were going to help me figure something out. And if it didn't work, I trusted that they were going to help me to try to figure that out. So I wanted to take the same approach. I wanted to be helpful. I wanted to teach. I wanted to be a partner to my customers and be valuable to them. And I was able to prove out that it did eventually affect revenue and it did come into the pipeline, but just taking that angle off of, I want to sell, 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 because nobody wants to be sold to all the time. You know, sometimes you're just trying to figure something out. Just taking that off the table brought more inbound to us, you know, folks coming to us saying, Hey, I want to take a meeting. I want to learn more. It increased it about 20%. Wow. Yeah. We went from 20% inbound to 40% inbound, which is amazing. And it all came from just really taking the position of the content has to be valuable to you. Well, um, you're thinking back on these 90 days, what advice would you give your peers in their first 90 days? I think the, the biggest advice I can give is listen. I think we come in, in into a CMO position, whether it's our first one or our third or our fourth one with a lot of pressure. You know, we all know that, that, Most of us don't last more than three years. We know that there's a thousand things to do. There's a thousand things to get to. And sometimes we miss the listening stage. And you don't know what you need to fix if you don't know what's broken. So you really have to listen, get to know every, not only the team who's working for you, obviously, but everyone around you. You know, what's driving the CEO? What's driving the CFO? What's driving the the head of sales? You know, how do the people below them? feel? What are they seeing? Because it's from that knowledge that you can build a strategy that works for the company. And then also you'll be able to show how you're moving the mark there. 
you know, because if you come in thinking, okay, I'm just going to show that I'm bringing more people to the website and more people filling out forms and Hey, look, we had coverage in the wall street journal. That's great. But what is it doing to the bottom line? Do you need to tie those things to revenue? Because at the end of the day, if you're high-fiving that you've made all the marketing metrics and the company's not making its number, you become en- public enemy number one. <laughs> so <laughs> you never want to be in the position where you're going in you know, to the COO and saying, oh no, but I want to pay out 110% on our, on our um, bonuses because we made all the marketing metrics. And he's saying, wait, did you listen to the earnings call? Because we missed it by a whole lot. <laughs> that You never want that conversation. So you want to make sure that you're listening, you're understanding where you need to affect the business and build a strategy custom made for that business, not what you did at your last job. That's great advice. What's your next quarter going to be about? (laughs) Well, next quarter will be um, all the things I talked about will be um, we're right on the cusp, just a a few days away of, of launching our always on digital program into market. We have, uh, devised our messaging platform for the audience that we're going after. We've been creating content like crazy all summer long. We've got new media buys. We're working with an intent provider to make sure that we're going after those accounts that seem to be showing signals of trying to figure something out and and being able to get our content in front of them. So uh, we're turning it on. That's great. That's great. Well, one of the things I like to do with the folks I'm talking to is kind of get behind the scenes a little bit with the person, the human, as you put it. <laughs> and, you know, I love asking this question, which is, is there an experience in your past that makes up who you are today? I think there's a ton of experiences in my past. And I've been probably the very fortunate of growing up at a time in my career when technology was pretty much born. I hate saying this because it does date me, but my first internship at Working <laughs> Woman, there were two computers on carts. Not everybody had a computer. They were wheeled around to the different editors who needed to type in and file their stories. And by the time I started my first job, everybody had a computer on their computer. So it, it's been so quickly. It has evolved so quickly. And I've had, you know, I became a mother very early in my career. So I've been juggling motherhood and, and career. And I've had different work situations because of technology. You know, I was probably one of the first mothers to, t- to take a work from home situation with a full-time job you know, and I was in the city two days a week at an office and I was at my house three days a week because of my dial-up modem. So the whole way technology has completely defined and enabled my career has really made me so passionate about solving problems through technology, which is why the, the digital piece of it is so interesting. I, fi- you know, I find people interesting. What makes them tick? What are they trying to figure out? So all of those things together. And then I've worked for some really really awesome people and looking at how, you know, why I thought they were awesome. Well, they've become personal friends of mine, even in cases where I may have been a lot younger, but because they really took an interest in me and, and then we became friends and I, and that whole style, I, I would have done anything for them. You know, I would have worked Saturday, Sunday and till midnight every night. And I wanted people who, who worked for me to feel the same way. You know, I've taken all of that, how you deal with people, how you want people around you to feel, how you want to help them how technology drives our lives now. And it's really culminated into what I do today. I love it. Love it. Well, what fuels you? What keeps you going? The win. I like to win. (laughs) And and I know that's so, I'm not a salesperson, but the win comes from proving out that it's humans behind computers and, you know, we're helping our customers or, hey, look, 
I was right. Those leads don't mean anything, but this audience that's getting really engaged with our content and learning is really helping the bottom line. I love it. Like, it's just every, like you can hear it in my voice. That's a win. That's like, you know, (laughs) it's exciting. It's fun to watch. I I told you I started on the editorial side. So, you know, we've all, all corporations that are are successful in content marketing have become in their own right publishers. So I'm, I'm still involved with writing and content and all that, which is what I thought my career was going to be about. And it, it is just in a different way. Well, I find that marketers are usually students of the business. Are there brands, companies, or causes that you follow or you think others should take notice of? Oh, I watch all brands. I find it really... <laughs> no, I do. I find it really interesting. Even what's going on with Nike now, you know, oh, right. and, and whether yeah. you feel one way or another, and I'm certainly not going to comment either way, right. it's yeah. really interesting. It is. You know, it's fascinating. And you have to think, okay, they absolutely knew something. Like there's no way that a couple of people sat in a boardroom or in a conference room and said, you know what we should do? Yeah, let's do that. There's a ton of data behind that decision. And, you know, they, that's a multi-million dollar, if not billion dollar brand. There's no way they made that decision with the rat with the right data. So that I find that fascinating. You know, I watched the Super Bowl because everybody watches the Super Bowl, because I love watching the commercials. You know, why did the companies this year decide to make such message, you know, built type of commercials? In the past, it's usually on humor. This year, it was noticeably different. Everybody was making a, a statement. So I find it really interesting. You know, I think some of the technology brands, and I'll, I'll give a shout out, I try not to do it, but I think Marketo, is one of those brands that just did an amazing job with their content strategy. And one of those companies that I felt when I was trying to figure it all out, you know, I was the user of a different auto marketing automation system. I had, we had invested a lot. I had people skill sets in that marketing automation system. And Marketo was sending me extremely insightful and useful content. And then their telemarketer called because I was opening everything, which is exactly what they should be doing. And I never took those calls, but I saw it on my machine that it was from Marketo and I picked it up and I, I said, listen, I'll be honest with you. I just signed a two-year contract, so I'm not going to buy from you in the next two years. So right. please put me on the, you know, do not call list for two years, but I, but please keep sending me your content because I'm finding it really useful and it's helping me a lot. And sure enough, when my contract was coming up in the, in 18 months later, I called Marketo and ended up switching. <laughs> That's a great story. Last question for you. What do you think the future of marketing is going to look like? Oh, the future of marketing is going to end up continuing to be more and more data-driven. You know, if Amazon has te- taught us anything, people will take the easy way. Hmm. The fact that I can order my household staples to show up every four weeks and never think about it again, I'm signing up for that. <laughs> I believe that's where we're going. You know, the companies that are going to be successful and survive are going to go through a digital transformation. They're going to be successful at it and they're going to be in it for the customer. I just read Jeff Bezos. He says, customer obsessed. You know, we always said customer driven. He says, customer obsessed. And it is going to be about the customer and how it helps the customer and not about how much product we sell. They'll come hand in hand, but the mindset of helping the customer and making the customer's life easier and more valuable is where those brands are really going to stick and excel and be the world leaders. So I think marketers are going to be really at the forefront of driving digital transformation within their companies to help them survive and then help help them be successful. Well, Dawn, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Alan. It was really fun. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me. 
with writing and editing by Kevin Greeley, social media support by Megan Woods, art and graphic design by Sarah Dell. If you're new to marketing today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. The best way to give someone a gift they'll never forget is to give a gift they'll always use. American Giant makes clothes that just keep getting better with age, like their iconic full-zip hoodie that's designed to last for decades. And a gift they'll wear for years is a gift that keeps on giving. But American Giant makes a lot more than just hoodies. They have impossibly comfy sweaters, classic tees, soft structured sweatpants, even classic everyday denim. All made right here in the USA with a quality you'll have to feel to believe. Be a gift-giving giant this holiday season at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code GRATEFULAG23. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code GRATEFULAG23. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.